Welcome back to Dear Skylar, my show where I talk to all kinds of amazing people about topics that I'm asked about as a transgender educator and advocate, things like race, sexuality, gender, sports, mental health, and so many things in between and beyond. The most common question that I receive from parents is how they support their trans kid. And oftentimes my first answer to this question is, wow, this is a huge question and there is so much to address here and I never feel like I can get to everything in a two to five minute answer. So I'm very excited to bring you this episode, which is a whole episode in answer to this question. How do parents support their trans kid? Of course, to address this question, I had to speak with a parent of a trans kid. And I feel so lucky to bring you this conversation with somebody who's very special to me and close to my heart, the first parent of a trans kid who reached out to me for advice after my story broke online. I'm so glad you two are here. Uh, we are in my a conference room at my parents' apartment, so we're doing our best with what we've got. But I'm actually really excited that we're here because we're in the city that both me and you, Leo, grew up in. So I'm really excited to have you, Leo, and you, Nai, here today. Um, I'm curious if we could start a little bit with just a, a quick line about who you are, your name and pronouns, maybe um, something else you want to share about yourself, and we'll go from there. Uh, I'm Leo. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm trans kid. And I'm in sixth grade. Awesome. I'm Nye. I'm, I'm Leo's mom. And I use she, her pronouns. And I'm a cis woman. So we first met, I think it was 2000 and was it 16 when you first emailed me, I believe? Um, and I actually, I still have the emails. I went searching through my emails to find the first email that I got from you. And I just, I wanted to actually just... Um, read it to you and then we could kind of talk about that moment because I um, I don't know how much sort of memory you might have, Leo, of this exact moment, but um, Naya, I think you might have some some exact sort of memories. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would read it and then we sure. could kind of go from there. So um, I'm also going to edit some of the pronouns because I don't want to misgender you. So um, when your mom first emailed me, um, you said, hi, Skylar, I have a kid born female, not yet five. Um, wants to be Leo and live life as a boy. I'm struggling. Um, Leo became Leo for spring break, uh, is very young. Um, I want Leo to be back to being a girl until we know, until Leo's older. I understand what I should be doing um, uh, until Leo goes to kindergarten and I'm attaching a picture from Thanksgiving. You attach this beautiful photo um, of you. I think he was wearing like a suit of some kind. It was really uh, lovely. Um, and so you wrote me this and you said that my courage was inspiring because you'd, you'd watch me online um, and you were reaching out. And actually both my parents wrote back. <laughs> um, and then a few, I think it was only a couple, um, it's actually only one day later. So my parents had respond, I responded, um, and then you said, I'm floored by your generosity in responding, cannot imagine the flirt. This was after the 60 minutes, please. And you said, last night I decided I needed to stop dilly-dallying and accept Leo as Leo. Watching the 60 Minutes piece was part of what gave me the courage to follow my kid's lead. I asked, can't we wait until kindergarten? And he told me no. Hearing your son, you were talking about me because you were emailing my parents, um, talk about the angst of sharing the news with his grandparents was what I was feeling too. The earlier I do this for him, the more he can be himself without restriction, including going back to his assigned birth identity if he so chooses. What is convenient for me is everyday courage um, from a young lion. That's you. If he can brave being a young lion, I must be the mama bear. Oh, makes me want to choke up. <laughs> um, and the mama land, I'm called to be. So when I read that email, I bawled, as I am starting to do now. 
Um, and I, it meant so much to me to hear, it was such a quick turnaround. It was one day mm. where you went from saying, you know, using all she, her pronouns for mm. Leo saying, I want, you know, this to be my daughter. Um, and the next day you said, you know what, I'm going to let my kid lead. So mm -hmm. what happened for you in those moments? What was going on at that time? That's a good question. Well, one of the things is, is it was seven years ago, like this month, this week almost. And I think, you know, it's hard when it, for for me at that point, Leo was really clear each day. When are we going to take out my earrings? When are we going to take out my earrings? Mm -hmm. When am I going to get this haircut? When am I going to get this haircut? Um, so I think some families experience sort of a, like a continuum, like it's sort of a progression and then it goes to at the end, they're like, okay, right. I want this name and actually mm -hmm. I'm settled now. I want these pronouns. For Leo... I didn't see it as that. I didn't experience it as that. He wanted his earrings gone. He wanted his hair cut. Mm. Um, that part was clear. And that he was on a gender journey was clear. Mm. But the day we went and got his hair cut, he came home and it was like period dot in the story. <laughs> My name is Leo and I'm a boy. Like, I think those were like, the, I don't know if that's seven words. All right. Good night. You know, it was like period. <laughs> like, that's it. And I think that clarity should have been enough for me. But, you know, you know, I have this four-year-old child who mm. I had known as a girl. I didn't know any trans people. Mm. It was just a whole different experience for me. So I remember preparing my family, mm. uh, telling them, we're going to cut my child's hair. Mm. And I sent them some pictures. I was just kind of sort of priming the prompt, like yeah. letting them know that this is about to happen. And they would send back other pictures with cute little girl haircuts. And I was like, you know, just trying to sort of navigate that. It was really difficult. And I as I think as a single parent, there's the beauty of not having to argue with a co-parent that disagrees or deal with all those kinds of things. But there's also just you to make all the decisions to have all this on you. And it's a lot to try to figure out. Um, I think for me... Haven't watched the video the first time. and I haven't right. seen it in a long time, but you know, like, did I rewatch it? I can't remember where I must've emailed right after. It's like, it almost felt like a God wink to have seen that production in the midst of this like haircut and proclamation. Mm -hmm. So for me, it felt like sort of a God wink to have the clarity of your story, um, almost sent to me in the midst of my grief trepidation, um, a lack of understanding, you know, just all the different things that you're sort of mind blown trying to imagine what to do now. Um, so I think that that clarity and the purpose and your parents and the, the full healthiness of your story, like seeing this proud trans man doing, living this, this life so healthily, you know, even it, I think it gave me a lot of inspiration and peace maybe, and perhaps also having adult parents raising you, having that story, and even having a person of color, having your story as a, as a man of color, also kind of gave me another kind of lens because I felt like a lot of the other lenses were children who were assigned male at birth. You know, there were a lot more stories that were um, a little more traditional, upper middle class, white families right. with a child assigned male at birth who then transitions um, by wearing dresses, you know, that, that story I'd seen and heard a little bit more. Right. So I think having a story about a trans man, 
um, and a person of color who had all these cultural experiences too, mm. all those things resonated and your confidence and your kind of sense of purpose and clarity remind me of this little lion right <laughs> here too. Well, I, you know, I think that the lack of representation for our community, for us, Leo, um, is something that's been really hard. It was really hard for me as well, because not only did we, I think what you, what you, you, you use the word healthily. And I think what you mean is, is, um, of course me being a healthy person, but, but more than that, it's like, it's a positive story. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that so many of us interface with, and probably even you and I before Leo, um, is, is so much tragedy, right? We watch so much terror and so much pain and so much stories of regret and the reality is the vast majority of trans people don't regret their mm -hmm. transitions and we turn out just fine right um but they don't make stories about that um and, and so i yeah i hear what you're saying and it's something that was hard and i don't think like leo never looked like a kid who was going to be turning back mm. um and maybe it's sort of like my hope that mm. that may have been you mm. know maybe it's a phase maybe you know all these kinds sure. of things that people might tell themselves right and everybody's journey is different but I remember there were moments where Leo was so clearly agitated by mm. his gender expression. And for us, I don't know if you want to hear all this, but there were I do. <laughs> there were these periods. First, it was like it was February of 2016. Um, it was not wanting to wear dresses. Right. We're not okay. Well, we only wear them to school. Let's mm -hmm. just wear, you know, so there was this clothing progression for a little while throughout mm. that year. Well, we wear, to, when we go to church, we wear a dress. When we go mm -hmm. to church, that's the line. I'm, right. You're not crossing this line. And there was this Sunday where, you know, Leo had stopped wearing girly clothes. It was like only animal prints. So he went through this whole <laughs> period of sort of animal per personification or I something that. like that. <laughs> furry. <laughs> he was a furry for a little while, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and it literally went on Halloween. I don't know if you remember dressing like Daniel Tiger he hates that I bring that up, but um, <laughs> he was wearing a leopard dress and firefighter boots and a firefighter coat. And he was always, I'm a fireman, not a fire girl. You mm. know, he was, so when we were going to church that Sunday, he when he was wearing leggings under his dress. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm like, it's the rule. We wear dresses. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. he tucked his dress in all the way around in his leggings. Smart. And... <laughs> Put this firefighter coat on and put the hood on and had the boots on so there was no indication that there was a dress anywhere and he kept insisting they're gonna think i'm a fire girl not a fire man and it was so like intense yeah. and clear yeah. like don't make this mistake and, it, and i'd seen it before when he was four mm. he would not be um he was diego mm. and so he had the little diego you know explorer outfit they're gonna think that i'm dora he was like wearing that little Diego tag right there with the thing. So people wouldn't get it twisted. I'm yeah. not Dora. Get it right. You know, people like, oh, look at you. No, 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 no. I'm mm. Diego. So he was very clear in those presentations and angst, angst mm. if people made the mistake. If yeah. people called him, I remember his teacher when he was three years old, would call him pretty. Mm. He would grimace like, mm. like he was ready to pop somebody. <laughs> he was like, I want to be handsome. I don't want to be pretty. Mm. You know, so by three, there were all these really clear right. um, ways in which he wanted to be seen. And so I didn't think he was going to be turning back. Mm. But um, I, you know, just sort of needed to, you know, take a breath and recognize that the Leo's on a journey 
that is his mm. and that I can't change mm. um, just because I want it. I might have pre- been prepared for it to be mm. different. Having other st- stories um, help to understand and, and accept what my role could be. Mm. I think for me, the real turning point, one of the early turning points was watching him tuck in that dress all the way around. <laughs> and I feel like, I don't want you to have to be deceptive or feel like you have to hide or tuck something in. Mm. And that didn't feel like a good way to parent, mm. to ask you to tuck tuck in. So I was like, yeah, that's it. We we wear suits, I guess. To, you know, <laughs> So we went to a thrift store and pulled out some suits. And then the next thing was earrings. And the next thing was hair. So... Mm. I think he just sort of made it clear what he needed to be seen and, and healthy. Mm. And until I could get there, um, you know, I think the hair was the final step. And, and you know, sometimes you just need some help to make sure that what you're doing is in your child's best interest. Yeah. Well, because I think largely we get messaging that it's not, that, mm-hmm. that accepting transness is not in your child's interest. But as you as you do so, I'm sure you saw that it was absolutely in yes. Leo's best interest. Yes. And, um, I think that's so beautiful what you kind of discovered where you said, I don't I don't want Leo to have to tuck himself away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want that either. So, Leo, I'm curious for you what your experience was like during that time um, when you were telling your mom, this is what I need, what... Do you remember around that time what it was like? Not most of it. Um, I remember having been told about, like, the tucking in my dress thing. Um, You don't remember actually doing it? It's a very ingenious idea, actually. (laughs) Uh, But I do remember uh, some kids, like, calling me a tomboy. Mm -hmm. I didn't even really know what that meant, really. Mm. But, I mean, it's better than being called a girl, I guess. Mm. I think I felt that way too. I remember telling people I didn't have the word transgender and I didn't have the understanding of myself the way that you did, uh, which I, I'm, I'm so amazed by. I love hearing stories of kids being in, this is me and being able to be, like you said, defiant and sort of intense about it. I didn't have that. So I only had the word tomboy and I was also called tomboy. So I would introduce myself. I would go up to people and I'd be like, hi, I'm Skylar. I'm a tomboy. (laughs) Because I, the same way I think that you wanted people to see that Diego tag, I needed people to know that I wasn't a girl the way that other girls were. Um, Do you remember that feeling at all? Uh Uh-huh. What did it feel like? Um, well, it was like three, so I don't remember that well. That's okay. But I do remember the Diego tag. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. I really wanted people to like see that. Like, Mm -hmm. An ID, if you're like, if you look like you're 12, but you're actually like 22 at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, don't call the police. I'm 22. <laughs> okay. Because this is not an experience you've had, I'm sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you had, you dre- like, can you, t- can you tell me about that day when you dressed up as Diego? Do you remember putting the costume on? Yes. How did it make you feel to be Diego for a little bit? Good. I mean, like, in every, like, three- or four-year-old's mind who watched Dora and Mm. Diego, that was, like, the idea of cool. Mm. So I'm wearing this costume, like, yeah, I'm a cool boy. Like, I hang (laughs) with animals. Oh yeah, your mom said that, that you that you definitely had an animal phase of, of things that you are you still do you still love animals the way that you did then? Yes. What's your favorite animal? Between dogs, turtles, and lions. Leo means like lion in Latin. Mm. Uh so I remember like when I first changed my name I was like going up to people like, yeah, 
I'm Leo. It means lion in Latin. So, <laughs> how did you choose the name? Do you, do you remember finding it? Because I think you chose it, right? Not not Naya, not your mom. Um, I don't remember why I chose it. Mm-hmm. I just remember choosing it. Do you remember what it felt like when you first called yourself that? It felt like I was a boy. I'm finally who I'm meant to be. Mm. So you saw me sort of crying when I when I read that letter, um, and I think. So I spent, you know, I didn't come out until I was 18. Um, so you still, if I was you, I still wouldn't have come out. Um, and I spent my my childhood not ever having the words to figure out how to explain myself. You know, you said you figured out who you were meant to be. Um, and I think the reason I cry when I read these kinds of stories is not only because um, because I, I feel this like overwhelming joy for you and for all that you get to be, but I also think it's so beautiful that you know you were able to have this this love from your mom and to have your mom let you lead. Um, and so I'm curious how that feels to you. Like I, you're not you know you can't look at it from being 18 because you're not. But um, I think you're are you 12? Are you 11? I'm 11. You're 11. Okay. Um, so you're, you're 11 and I, and I remember when I first met you, I think you were five, right? Yeah. Do, do you remember when we hung out the first time? Mm-hmm. You were about half my height and now you're my, my full height. <laughs> um, but I, you were a little bit shy when I first met you to, to meet me. I think you hadn't spent a ton of time around trans people at the time. I'm not sure. Um, but do you remember what it was like to see other trans people like you? It was really cool. Yeah. Tell me more. Um, yeah, it was say. really cool to have like a trans role model because mm. I was like first understanding what this was mm. and stuff. Plus, you're also kind of like a celebrity now. So like, <laughs> when we were at the the let trans like it was called Let Kids Play or Kids at Play Kids at Play that was the name of that event we went to. Um, so I hadn't seen you since you were five, and then I saw you um, six years later. Right, we were we were there, and I remember. I mean, I think I'd seen pictures of you because your mom sends me pictures of you every now and then. Um, you, I have a photo of you on my refrigerator, actually, all of you mm-hmm. and the dog. <laughs> um, but uh, I saw you there, and again, you've doubled in size, of course, um, with a ton of other trans kids and trans athletes. Um, I'm wondering what that experience was like for you. I know there's a lot of complexity. We can leave the company out of it. That's not what I, I mean. I'm more mean, how was it to be around all those kids and to play for a couple of days together? It was really cool. I had a few friends that were there. It's not exactly like GSA at my school mm-hmm. because like I'm like the only trans person at GSA. Most mm-hmm. people are just like gay or bi or something mm-hmm. like that. Sure. It was just like all trans people. Mm-hmm. And we weren't watching Heartstopper. Mm-hmm. You weren't watching Heartstopper. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it wasn't surrounding more like cis gay things, you mm-hmm. mean? Right. Um, I mean, it sounds like you tell me if I'm right. It sounds like you felt not alone. It sounds like you felt like you were in community. Um, I know for me, when I'm with, bunch, with a bunch of trans people, it feels like I don't have to actually be only trans. I can just be. Is that how it felt like for you? Mm-hmm. I was mad at my friend because, like, he pulled this card that was, like, something <laughs> that I had to give him money. I think I think he won pretty, like, by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Are you open about your transes at school? My assumption is that you are. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No one really cares much. I've only ever mostly come out to the kids that I actually like talk to on a normal basis. Mm, sure. And those kids are like cool about it or I wouldn't right. be talking to them, you know. That's good. I'm glad. Good boundaries. <laughs> How do those conversations look when you when you decide to tell people about it? How does it feel for you when you share that? Uh, Well, I don't usually just like tell them randomly. That makes sense. Usually I'll, I'll just be 
uh, going up on there's GSA at my school mm-hmm. on Fridays at recess. Mm-hmm. So if I'll be heading up on Friday uh, while everyone else is going to recess, they're like, what, where are you going? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to GSA. And they're mm-hmm. like, why? And I'm like, because I'm trans. Mm-hmm. Got it. Most of them already know what that means. Right, right. Your school's pretty woke. Yeah. <laughs> you, go, you go to a fairly liberal school. Well, that's good. I'm really glad you haven't. And, and teachers as well. You haven't had negative experiences with teachers. That's awesome. Happy to hear that. That just like it just I, I love when this conversation part of this conversation is short <laughs> um, because it means that there's there's not much much to tell in that sense. So um, okay, I have a sort of a more difficult question. It must feel I mean I think it feels scary as an adult, but I know as a kid there's all the bills are targeting children, and I think it's something that I've tried to I, I always try to present more of like the fact that this is children because people are thinking you know there's a lot of them are thinking about adults actually when people think about trans people especially trans athletes they think about you know leah thomas they think about laurel hubbard who's you might have heard of both of those but they're they're adult women (laughs) um, who are playing adult sports and very like elite level sports and that's what people think about and then they apply that to children like you and you're like you said, running around playing ultimate frisbee at recess, or your or intramural sports, or playing just trying to do PE. Um, and I think you're right; it is it is really wrong, and they're afraid of kids. Why do you think they're afraid of kids? Probably because they suck at sports. <laughs> you think the, the the politicians suck at sports? Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably not wrong. I, I could I could knock one of those politicians to the ground if in taekwondo. <laughs> Do you have an emotion that you feel <laughs> as you hear these these stories? Like, what emotion comes up for you? Yeah, it makes me feel mad. Mm. Like, sad. What do you do with that anger? Um, well, there's nothing I really can do. I'm just, mm. like, mad. This isn't fair. This isn't right. They see no problem with actual big issues going on in this country, but they're worried about literal kids just being themselves. And that's just, like, not okay, and I'm mad about it. But I can't really do anything. I don't even know where these politicians live. It's not like I can fly over to them, give them a piece of my mind. I wish you could. What awareness do you have or how do you feel about being both a person of color and being trans in this country? Most of the people I've met haven't really had a problem with it. Some people like make jokes about how I'm biracial Mm. uh, and how I'm lighter skinned than Mm. most of my black friends. Mm. What does that feel like? Um... Most of the times they're trying to be funny. Mm. I mean, depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Sometimes it'll just like set me off. Mm. Sometimes it's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> uh, but mostly no one I've met really has a problem with my identity. Mm. I've never met a transphobic person or a racist person. But like I hear about them all mm. the time. And they're all just like afraid of change, mm. afraid to not be in power. Mm. People used to ask me all the time, like, are you more Korean? Or are you more white? Are you more Asian? Or are you more white? Um, that happened a lot in my childhood. And it was kind of painful, actually, because I was like, well, I'm I'm both. That's all. I'm just both. And um, it felt sort of like a um, pulling me between these two false binaries really which then when i when i learned that i was trans i was like this is all not that different actually now that i'm figuring out that i'm pulled between to some degree like manhood and womanhood even though i know manhood is what i i am i'm pulled between these two things and so it actually kind of helped me i was wondering if that if that is all your experience 
Um, usually for me, gender and race have been two separate things. Mm. Since I transitioned pretty young, mm-hmm. and it's been like a long time since I got my first haircut, changed mm. my name. Mm. Um, I don't really think about gender that often anymore because I, I can like pass. So basically that people don't know that you're trans, right? Mm-hmm. When people see you. Um, do you want people to know that you're trans? What is it like to pass? I mean, I, you've spent most of your life, I think, being read as, quote, just a boy, right? Being read as a cis boy. Um, what is that like? Uh, well, usually if I'm like running into some random person, if I'm like buying groceries from Walmart and the lady at the register says, good morning, sir, mm-hmm. then I'm like, good morning. You don't say good morning, I'm trans. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I, like, think about it. Like, sometimes people ask me about it, especially if I'm in, like, spaces for, like, trans people. Sure. Um, That's when you're supposed to ask about it, generally. Mm. Some people have questions, but they don't ask me questions. Like, if I'm on a camping trip with my friend, they don't get up at 3 a.m. and say, hey, what's it like being trans? (laughs) Or I'm talking about why I wasn't at school on Monday mm. because I had to get a puberty blocker. Well, actually, that's a that's a that's a great sort of segue into a different question that I was going to ask you. So we just talked about sports for a while and the bills, and so the bills also cover um, a lot of the the bans are about gender affirming healthcare. Um, and I, you just mentioned being on puberty blockers, and so if you're comfortable talking about it, um, I'm first curious how that experience has been for you. Are I didn't go through puberty blockers, so I don't know personally what that experience is like. So you didn't just walk in, you didn't like go after school and went to the hospital and you said, hey, give me a puberty blocker, right? That was, it was not that easy. So that process, it probably took, a, I don't know, several months, maybe a year to get access. Um, and once you did, what, what was that like? Because not a lot of people have access to that these days. Well, uh, the access part was mostly my mom. Mm. So my mom was, like, getting all the forms filled out, like, talking to doctors. Mm. I had to get, like, checked to make sure I was, like, fit for it or something. The most I had to do with the documents was I remember I had to sign one of them. Mm. Uh, Is that fun? I don't know how to write my last name in cursive. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then basically after that, the only thing I really did was get it. Mom, how long did that process take? Part of what happened is that, um, you know, it's for precocious puberty for young people, sometimes, you know, as young as toddlers or mm-hmm. something like that. Your body mm-hmm. kicks in puberty early. Mm-hmm. So I'm a black woman. Black children born female mm-hmm. tend to start puberty sooner than mm-hmm. um, other ethnicities, you know. Um, so Leo started to show indications early and I was Mm. watching, you know, for those and, but it was during COVID also. So you're not seeing doctors, you know, Mm. all this like uh, virtual stuff. Mm. So we had to get a lot of blood work done, which Mm. was really hard. That, that part was hard. Mm. Um, he doesn't like needles. (laughs) So that probably was the most difficult part was just sort of during this whole pandemic, trying to get the medical information that confirmed what we were seeing, which was that, you know, your numbers start to shoot up and, when, what's really difficult for parents is that there are wait lists. Yeah. That that blood work I think was crucial to let the practitioners know where you are along sure, the line. Sure. Um, so I think that that was a really important part. Leo, you know, at the beach, going outside. I think for for kids who assign female at birth, the presence of 
breasts mm. is huge. Mm. You know, it's huge. Leo loved to have his shirt off a mm. lot. Um, you know, he never wants to wear those little uh, rash guards and sure. stuff like that. So um, I was really grateful that, um, you know, you have to wait a certain period. Like puberty has to start yeah. for them to know like, okay, now we're going to pause it. So, right, right. you know. To let it bud a little bit. Yeah, and then you yeah, have yeah. The one thing I'll say about myself and, and having seen other other parents go through the journey, I think our kids can sometimes be really nervous. And I think adults as parents, mm -hmm. we can also be really nervous um, because, you know, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to, to know that there could be these permanent changes in your child's body that from natal puberty. From natal puberty. Um, so thankfully, you know, I can't even imagine being in some of these states where you can't get gender like you. How is a state supposed to be all about family rights and mm. all these kinds of things? And a parent can't make the healthy choices that they and their practitioners need for their child, yeah. need for their child's well-being. You know, so I know when Leo was still a child at four and I'm trying to figure it out, like, what am I going to do? What names am I going to, you know, all those, all those kinds of things. I had the luxury of a lot of time. Mm. But Leo was angry, mm. angry, like the early part of that year. And I think a lot of it was sort of this disregard for what, what, where he is. So, you know, if you fast forward that to 11 or 12 and kids who are, whose bodies are starting to change and that they're really feeling that angst and a parent can do nothing. Mm. Like I, I just can't even imagine. So I, I've been really grateful that we've had access and really wonderful practitioners and even the time to respond to what his body was doing and what, you know, what Leo and I decided might be best, you know, for him to go through puberty blockers. Cause some people don't, right. not everybody does, but, right. um, I think Leo was clear that, you know, he did not want, want his body changing in the way that folks with ovaries bodies might change. Right. I'm actually really glad that I transitioned so early mm. because uh, puberty blockers are way less scary than top surgery. So I had top surgery and I, as, as now you were talking, um, it just took me back to the moments before my puberty hit. And we, we not because of laws, because these gender affirming bans weren't in, in place when I was, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12. Um, but because of lack of awareness, lack of resources, lack of understanding I was trans, I didn't have access to, to puberty blockers. And I, I, when puberty began, I, I knew it was going to come because actually I was, I was the opposite of you. I was late puberty. So, um, because of probably being an athlete, I didn't go through puberty actually until I think my first, um, period was 13 years old. So I was very late. Um, and so I watched everybody else go through it. And the reason I'm saying this is because I watched everybody else go through it and I panicked the entire time. I was like, Oh my God, this is going to happen to me. How do I stop it? And so as you were talking and thinking about all these parents who aren't able to help their kids, all the kids that have all this angst, I, I remember that feeling. And I remember not, like not even knowing there was anything I could do about it. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you had access to it. But I'm, I also know that you had probably fear or at least some experience before you were going on puberty blockers. So do you remember something similar before you were able to access it when puberty was beginning, when natal puberty, I mean, was beginning? Well, I don't even know when it started, really. Mm. Um, I, I knew that my chest was getting, like, bigger than it was, like, when I was, like, eight. Sure. So that was a little scary, but, like, not as scary as, like, getting a period. 
you remember being like you said you you felt scared in that in that process um was did your body start to change you said you, you sort of started changing a little bit during that time what was that like that was like i'm in the shower and like my chest is like bigger than it used to be and it was like all that noticeable but like that's still pretty scary mm. why was it scary I know, but just to explain to me why. Well, because I don't want to grow into this body that I'm not. Mm. For me, it felt like my body grew away from me. Like I felt like me and my body went like this. Like I, I continued being myself, but my body was like, whoop, we're going to go this way. Um, and that was just like, it. W I remember the feeling just being, I didn't have the words to explain it, but I just felt like I was disconnecting from myself. Um, does that resonate with you? Mm-hmm. Your answer might be the same as when we asked about the trends, the, the athlete ones, but what do you think about this? What do you think about how so many kids aren't allowed their access to gender affirming care these days? All these, pol none of the politicians who have passed these laws are trans. They don't know what this is like. I guarantee you if they could spend like a month in like some of these kids' bodies, then they wouldn't pass these laws. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. I didn't know the answer, but have you ever regretted taking your puberty blockers? Do you think you ever will? No. Have you ever thought to yourself, maybe I'm not actually trans? No. Short and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there's any time in the future where you might go back and think, huh, I want to be different now. I want to go back to being a girl or something. Mm, I don't think so. I've heard my mom talking about like how tucking my dresses, how I really wanted to cut my hair, take out my earrings and change my name. Mm. How I wanted to wear a fireman outfit in church. <laughs> I love that story so much. <laughs> That's who I want to be. Mm. And, and since I've spent so long like this, I don't think I'm going to change my mind for a while. But ever. What, I mean, but even if you do, and this is, I think, what really struck me, um, Nye, about your email. So you wrote in the email, the earlier I do for this for him, the more he can be himself without restriction, including going back to his assigned birth identity. What struck me about that line was your flexibility. And I think one of the things that I hear so often about kids and why I asked you about potential regret um, is because people, the, the, the primary response is, well, what if they regret it? What if they're wrong? What if they regret it? And I always tell parents, what if, what if they do? What, do you, what will you do? You will continue to support your child. Mm -hmm. And we actually now have research that supports that when trans kids um, are supported through any kind of part of their lives, including if they retransition, they're actually fine. And most kids also, if they do retransition, they do so before age 12. So before like you, before they, they access testosterone. Um, so if you did decide to retransition right now, all they would do is they'd take out your puberty blocker and you'd move on with your life and that would be fine. I think that would be terrifying for me because if I were you, I'd be like, please do not take out my beauty blocker. But even if you wanted to, right, it sounds like your mom would support that. Um, and actually the primary, you know, variable for kids to be okay is not whether or not, you know, they, well, transition does help them, but it's not actually that the, the primary part is support, right? Being supported, whatever that support looks like, whether it's supporting the transition or supporting a detransition. So now I wonder kind of what, allowed you that flexibility during that time, that faith in both yourself and in Leo? I think around the same time that I sent you that email, um, there's been a period of emails that I've sent to family members too. Mm -hmm. um, and some family members I included and some family members I didn't. Mm -hmm. And um, Leo has godparents who 
shared with me, oh, yeah, you need to talk to so-and-so. Mm. Um, and, you know, I reached out to friends whom I trusted, and they shared with me other people that they knew whose mm. children had transitioned. Mm. Um, I think as a parent who hasn't experienced a, a large community of trans people or genderqueer people, mm. that we need somebody else to kind of help us understand a little bit. I think wherever the child is along the timeline, mm. you know, so at four, you know, what mistakes can you make? You got seven years to have to really <laughs> figure out what's going on. Like mm. other than that, it's just sort of play and, Haircut, you know, clothing, clothing. it's name. all just what you wear in today, you mm. know, which any kid should be able to figure out more or less what they can wear and mm -hmm. be safe in. Mm. The, the thing that, is different for a pre-puberty child versus a, a child that's already gone through puberty. The real, the only real thing is that if you have not gone through puberty, your body hasn't had the chance to kind of create those reproductive cells, right? Mm. So Leo can't harvest any reproductive cells. Mm. Um, mm. So that's the only thing you, I think, as a parent, you you need to kind of accept that you're gonna by the time they're a teenager, make some, help them make a choice that might mean that they might not have biological offspring mm. because they transitioned early, because mm. they never went through sure. natal puberty. That's the choice that, you know, I had, you know, a few years to work through. And mm -hmm. so I think this is an answer to the question that you asked. I can't remember what the, <laughs> what the question is anymore, but um, the community is the key part for me, mm -hmm. um, being able to sort of understand and hear stories even the instagram community like sure i know i've shared with leo he's young but i know during those early years i remember showing him pictures you you were so open about your journey and i've been able to say here's another person who you know mm -hmm. who has this story because i think often kids don't even know when they're around other trans kids sure um leo hasn't always known when we've been in in community with other trans kids right so having that community around for young kids is good, mm. you know, but they don't they don't fully grasp it until they're old sure. enough to sort of recognize that, you know, okay, I'm different than everybody else. Mm. But having those community members that 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 share your story, that you don't have to explain everything around that, you know, a sleepover can be less complicated. You sure. know, there's these there's these touch points that I think families of trans kids and uh people who are trans um have to experience and as parents of those we have to help them navigate that and we don't necessarily know how to do it just sure. yet so the camps the community groups and then having family members who can affirm your choices i think is also really really important and we were lucky enough that i i you know one of my parents i felt comfortable sharing early on and i think um people wouldn't have assumed that based on the identities mm. of the family members that I had, but, you know, we had a family member who was really close and got to see Leo at mm -hmm. Christmas time when he got gifts and, mm -hmm. you know, hear his voice about what he wanted or didn't want. The thing about people who are not close, they don't know what the day-to-day -day like life is like. So mm -hmm. Leo made the point, like, if you could spend a month in this child's body, mm -hmm. if you are close enough to hear and listen to that child's experiences and that child is willing to offer up what they're experiencing, I think the people who are close hear and know what mm. their child's journey is and having family members that can 
trust trust you and support you in, in affirming your child are really important. Yeah. Earlier you said, I haven't met a transphobic or a racist person. And that tells me a lot more about your mom and how she's created a safe space for you. Um, which I think is really important. And one of the things you're you're mentioning, Nai, is that, um, and I think parents actually struggle with a lot because they're also human, <laughs> um, is social rejection for affirming their mm-hmm. trans kid, right? I, I know many parents who are like, I support my trans kid, but my mom is misgendering my kid or my friend is going to judge me or whatever. And these are real concerns for mm-hmm. a lot of parents. And one of the things I've seen you do over the years, and I don't you know, know you day to day necessarily, but your actions, I think, are very clear, which you've protected Leo. And you've chosen to protect Leo over any other thing you could have done instead of protecting Leo. Um, And sometimes that's hard to do. So what has allowed you to do that? It's just me Mm. and Leo. Mm. So this is the most most important role I will have, you know, until you're an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... You know, there's other people that I love and care about, but, you know, I've had to be like, okay, well, we're not going to see them for a while. I think people need, sometimes need a time to wrestle mm-hmm. with. I, mm-hmm. I'm not as black and white about affirming family members as some people are. I mm-hmm. think I just put out there my child's story so mm-hmm. people can get used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also not going to succumb my child to having interactions with people who are going to be mean or negative. Um, But it takes a little while to sort of build up that courage. I think in the first couple weeks, I was still like figuring out how to say this in my, out of my mouth. Mm. Uh, You know, I remember being at a playground and saying something to uh, one of the parents. Well, uh, he, she, you know, Mm. just, it it takes a little, it took me a while. Mm. It took me a while. And I think um, family members, might take a little while also. And so I think for parents to figure out what does that look like while your your people are working through this, mm. you know, after you've decided mm. this child's wellness is most important to me, mm. then what does that mean about all these other relationships that you wrestle with? So some people can't choose because they have legal co-parenting, whatever mm. the state says that your child going to have to go stay with this non-affirming parent. Mm. Okay, but the things that we have control over and the ways in which we sort of um, inoculate our children for those experiences that they might have to go through, um, I think everybody has to make their own decisions. But for me and my family, we've been, I've been clear enough to just recognize that if if you can love this child, mm. then you don't deserve to be mm. in, in his life. And, mm. and, you know, I'll call you. We still family, but... I'm not going to bring my child around Mm. to be harmed. And we have been harmed. He told me about a harmful situation where we had a family member who was sick and we went to visit that family member. And another family member said some horrible things. Mm. It won't happen again. Mm. I'm sorry that we went through that experience. And that was a tangential person who happened to be in the house that day. Mm. But it won't happen again. Mm. So I'm not going to talk to you because I respect you and I'm... But somebody else in this family is going to make sure it won't happen again. So finding out who your allies are, Mm. bringing them on team, your child, affirming your child and and then figuring out how to what what support do they need so they could be in your child's life? Because otherwise, you know, it's a privilege. And these Mm. are amazing young people. And if you can't respect them and affirm them, you don't deserve them. You Mm. can't you you got to do some more work until you're ready, (laughs) you know? 
<laughs> and and you, we have to apologize sometimes because our children, we, we can't always protect them, but we can't allow them to be harmed either. I, I think what you're saying is so beautiful, which is the reminder to um, focus, right? I asked you earlier, what... Um, what has allowed you this flexibility with Leo that says, you know what, if he transitions, okay. I'm going to support him. If we, mm -hmm. if he, you know, goes back to wanting to present as a girl, okay, I'll support him. And, um, and it sounds like the core of how you're able to do that is focusing on his wellness. Whatever yeah. is going to make him happy is yeah. what you're going to do. Or healthy, even yeah. healthy. You know I mean? We don't know what this little person that we bring into the world, we don't know what their needs are going to be. Mm. And as parents, we just have to, meet them where they are and respond to who they who they are and what they need mm -hmm. you know and it can look like a whole bunch of things you know if it's you know if it's diabetes do we not give them insulin you know mm -hmm. like we just figure out what this child is and what the child's needs are and we respond accordingly so mm -hmm. i don't think it's any different than um ensuring that a child with a medical need gets their medical needs met leo mm -hmm. has a medical need mm -hmm. i ensure that he has the that he's being able to be treated based on what his needs are. And right now, as a child that hadn't yet entered puberty, his need was to not experience the puberty that his body was going to take him through. Yeah. And next, it'll be, we'll see in a couple of years what it is. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, honestly, like he said, he doesn't even talk about gender that much. Yeah. We talk about math. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so what are the math kids' and needs? English and, yeah. You know, what are the kids' needs? And um, I don't think that this should be very different than any other need that a child experiences and um, that they have community and people who, mm. can, who look like them and can share their experience, um, that they feel safe. You know, yeah. there's just some core things that I think being a good parent looks like and early on it feels scary. But, you know, you just kind of find your people yeah. and they help you figure out how to do this well. Mm. This is the last question for you, Nia, and then I want to ask you one more question, Leo. Um, is what have you learned from Leo? What has Leo taught you um, specifically from the gender journey, but just, just sort of, you know, anything related? If you could give one sort of most important thing you've learned from Leo, what would it be? I think watching him in that photo that I sent to you in mm. that, in that mm -hmm. moment, in these other moments, like seeing that self-expression be so clear and so joyful, mm. it feels like an easy thing to return to. Because mm. when you see these moments, you know, that Thanksgiving day when we um, we borrowed a suit from a friend <laughs> and um, the reason I borrowed it was for another reason. Leo's a very strong-willed young person. And on this particular day, having him be able to, wear what he wanted to wear and feel so powerful and clear and joyful mm. around family. It's like, why wouldn't you want to do this? You know, so that Thanksgiving was one of the early moments. And then there was another moment on your uh, birthday day where he put on this pilot's outfit <laughs> and there's like just such clarity and power and possibility in mm. those moments that made me recognize you know, this is, this is easy. Um, mm. so what, what I've learned is this child knew who he was and was patient enough with me to help me get used to and understand what that meant. But that joy and that power and that possibility was worth me working through these kinks.
Leo, last question for you. So you said earlier um, that you wanted to be able to speak to the politicians. You saw, you'd said like, I, if I could, if I could fly to their house and give them a piece of my mind. Aside from the probably angry rant that you'd start with, <laughs> or that I would start with, I'm curious what you actually. If, let's let's pretend they're actually listening to this, and you okay. could actually tell them something. What would you tell them? What do you think if trans kids get the gender affirming health care that you're banning, what do you think that's that bad is going to happen? I don't really know what they're afraid of. These are kids. They're not doing anything. They're being themselves. They want to get this gender affirming health care. It's not like they're getting this against their will. This is what they want to do. Why do you feel that that's against your personal name. I love that when I asked you to say something to them, you asked them a question. I think that's beautiful. I think they should be asking themselves more questions. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you and I'm excited for everybody to listen. Thank you so much to both Nye and Leo for this conversation. I feel so privileged to have been able to witness pieces of Leo's journey throughout his growth into the proud trans boy that he is today. Let's get to the question. How do parents support their trans kid? As always, there's no one answer. Even summing up an answer feels next to impossible. So here are a couple pieces of things that I think are key when supporting a trans kid. The first is community. Even in just gathering information about how to support, how to affirm the trans kid, one of the things that Nye did was she reached out to other people who were also trans. She looked for resources to see where she could learn more about her kid and find validation and support and community in her ability to affirm her kid. The next thing, and I just think this line that Nye shared was so poignant, is not creating an environment where the kid feels like they have to hide or tuck themselves away. She said, I don't want you, Leo, to feel like you have to hide or tuck something in that didn't feel like a good way to parent to ask you to tuck in. So I said, we're wearing suits, I guess. And I love that. How do we create environments for kids where they don't have to tuck pieces of themselves away, where they don't hide any bits of themselves, but instead are able to explore? That brings me to a third highlight, which is creating safe spaces for the child to explore. Nye and Leo both talked about a focus on wellness, and Nye named that we need to meet kids where they are and then respond accordingly by addressing their needs. Fourth, it's very important to protect the child from social rejection that the parent might interface with. Nye talked about what happens when other people around her in her social circles were not able to join her in the affirmation of Leo in the same timeline or in the same way, and she needed to prioritize her kid's wellness. She said something like, if you can't love this child, then you don't deserve to have him in your life. I think this protection is key. And the results show. Leo said he'd barely ever interacted with anybody who's transphobic, and I think that that is precious. Finally, return to the joy that those kids, those trans kids present and show us. Dive deep into that. And like Nye said, why wouldn't you want to find a way to affirm that kind of joy? Center that joy always. To close, I think I should leave you with Leo's words, which are really a question, right, to those politicians or to anybody who has trouble affirming trans people. What threat do trans kids pose to you? No, really. What threat do they pose to you? Because the reality is trans kids don't threaten anything. Transphobia does. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Dear Skylar. We'll see you in a couple weeks. 